I start this morning with a question. What do you want to change about yourself? What do you want to change about yourself? If the idea of this genie in a bottle came to you and said you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? Now, this question, I think, is telling because it shows us what our desires are. To the extent that our desire is to change something physically about us, to change something about our circumstances, to change something about our employment, about our relationship status. If we were to choose one thing to change, what that thing is would be telling But what I want to ask you this morning is not just if you could change one thing about anything of yourself, but it's this question, if you could change one thing spiritually about yourself, what would it be? What is the one area of your life that you say to God more than anything else, God, change me in this area. God, make me Like this. Help me stop doing this. Help me to be like Jesus in this one way. What would it be? Now, I just want you to think about that. Maybe if you're taking notes, you might just jot it down. What is one thing above all else that you want to see changed? And the reason I start there is because the next question, what do you want to change, leads to a second question, how do you change? When you identify one area of your spiritual life that you say, in this area I desperately want to change, then how will you change? Because let there be no doubt, you and I all need to change. There is not one person here, the speaker included, who does not need to change. There is not one person here who does not have one or two or five or ten areas in their life that God wants them to change. You say, do you have Bible for that? I do. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth who had a lot that needed to change And here's what he said to these people about the work of God in them. He said, but we all, all of us Christians, with open face beholding as in a glass, in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Here's what he's saying. The more that you focus on the glory of God, the more that you focus on Jesus Christ, like in a mirror, you will change step by step to be more like what you see. You'll be changed to be more like Jesus. Romans chapter 12, Paul is speaking again, and he says this very famous verse, and be not conformed to this world, but be what? transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does it mean to be transformed? 
If any of you as children played with a transformer, a transformer is something that changes to something else. And here Paul is commanding us as Christians, be transformed, be changed. That means I hope as we're sitting here, it's not hard for us to think about spiritual areas that we want to see changed. God, change this. God, change that. God, make me more like Jesus in this way. God wants to change you. And the question, how, is the one that I want to focus on this morning. And I encourage you to look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, however you have your Bible with us this morning in hard copy or in some other form, maybe on your phone. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want you to see what Paul says to this church at Thessalonica. He says, for this cause also thank we God. He's saying something I'm going, I'm thanking God about. And I do so, he says, without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, as it actually is. The word of God. Now listen to this next phrase which effectually worketh, which effectually works also in you that believe. Which, the word of God, effectually works. Do you know what that word is actually signifying in the Greek? It's a word that is connected to our word for energy. For doing something energetically. The idea here is that the word of God is active in people who believe. The word of God is at work in people who believe. The word of God has energy in people who believe. I intended to bring this today. I I forgot it on the way out the door. But some of you know what a Tide Pod is. Dishwasher detergent. It comes in that little pack and it's wrapped in plastic and it's like that big. Do you have the foggiest idea how that thing cleans your dishes? I don't. There must be soap in there, I'm assuming. Don't eat it. I've heard some of you kids are trying to eat it today. That's a really bad idea. You should not do that. There's your public service announcement for the day. That pod, you take it out and you put it in a little opening, right? And you put it in and you shut it and you push the button and it starts and you hear stuff happening in there and you don't know what's happening. You know the water's hot and suddenly that little plastic pod, when you open it back up, it's gone. But your dishes are clean. That's because that Tide Pod has energy. It is at work. It has power to change your dishes from dirty dishes to clean dishes. And the simple point I want to make and drive home for us today is that the word of God, like a Tide Pod, when it goes in those who believe, it starts changing you. It is at work, just like it was in the Thessalonians, and just like it can be this week in you. The title of our message this morning is simply The Word at Work. The Word at Work. 
And I want us to identify how the word was at work in the Thessalonians and then how the word can be at work in your life and my life this week. So let's look here at verse number 13 in a broader context for this passage and then I think we'll be ready to start applying it for ourselves. Who were the Thessalonians? The Thessalonians were people in an ancient city called Thessalonica. Thessalonica was in the region of Macedonia. In Macedonia was a Roman colony. The Macedonia, excuse me, Thessalonica was a Roman colony and it was a really influential one. You could think of it as being like the capital city of that entire region. It would be like St. Paul is to the city of Minneapolis. It was a significant city. In fact, I read one commentator that suggested at Paul's time, there would have been 200,000 people in this city. And in fact, we read in Acts chapter 17, you can just make a little margin note in your Bible if you want to read more about how the gospel came to Thessalonica, you go to the very beginning of Acts 17. And Paul came there and he went there on one of his missionary journeys and he started preaching the gospel. And he went first to the synagogue where the Jewish people were there. And he started reasoning from the Old Testament that Jesus was the Messiah and that they needed to be saved and accept him. And some of them did. But here's the problem. The other ones who rejected it got really upset. And they came after Paul and started harassing him and started persecuting him and the people that were with him. So much so that Paul and his friends fled. They had to leave Thessalonica. But nonetheless, the word of God took root there. These people got saved. A church started there. And so now Paul is writing a letter to these people that he had led to Jesus, that he had preached the gospel to and seen them get saved. And he's encouraging them in their faith. So that's the context we see here. And in chapter 2, of 1 Thessalonians, the first epistle that he wrote to this church at Thessalonica. He's recounting for them how he presented the gospel to them. Notice what he says in verse 1. He says, yourselves, brethren, know, you yourselves know that our entrance in unto you, it was not in vain. Because the word was at work in you. Now go ahead to verse number 13. And now thinking back to that day when the gospel first came into them, he said, we thank God without ceasing because when he received the word of God, which he heard of us, we preached it, you heard it, you received it not as the word of man. You didn't receive it just like people were speaking to you. You received it as it is in truth, the word of God, like God was speaking to you. You see the difference there. We receive words from some people and we say, these are human words. I'm just going to weigh them. No, that's not what they did. They heard these words and they said, this is God speaking to us. You received it as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Three things that the Thessalonians were, were, were received here that was relevant to them and that will be relevant to us. First of all is the word proclaimed. The word proclaimed. 
That's our first point this morning. What was this word proclaimed? Now, it was the word preached. It was Paul taking the gospel of Jesus Christ and preaching it to them using the Old Testament scriptures and other of the truth that we see presented in the epistles. Now, let me just pause there for a moment. There are some people who are not so sure about what we're reading today, whether it's the word of God. I remember someone, uh, one of my um, uh, friends in college, this guy sang in a choir with me, and I remember him saying, he said, you know, Jesus, he had a lot of really good things to say, but then Paul came and really messed it up. Jesus, we can take what he had to say, but that Paul stuff, that guy really got the message wrong. And that wouldn't be even that uncommon an idea today. Well, that sure is not what the church originally believed. Paul came to them preaching the gospel and proclaimed, this is the word of God, and that's what they taught. In fact, when you read in the book of 2 Peter, you see Peter, the great apostle, the friend of Jesus, referring to what Paul wrote as a scriptures. He says, this teaching, like the other scriptures, he was referring to Paul's writings as scripture even then. So Paul comes to the Thessalonians. He's proclaiming to them the gospel, the word of God, and they're listening to it. Now, let me ask you, do you have opportunities to listen to the word of God, to receive the word of God? Yes, not only do you have the chance to come and hear the word of God preached, you have this book. You have something the Thessalonians didn't have. The entire revelation of God. You say, what is the word of God? What is this Bible that we have in front of us? Let me read for you the very first, the very first paragraph in the statement of faith of Straight Gate Church. It's number one. We believe the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, to be the verbally inspired word of God Without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of his will for the salvation of men and the divine and final authority for all Christian faith and life. That is what our church is built on. Here is what we believe. We believe that the, this book, this Bible, contains 66 books written by different human authors, but ultimately only by one author. We believe these 66 books contain the entire revelation of God to man. We believe that across all of these different human authors, across all of the different genres, the styles of writing, the forms of the books that we read is one unified message, God's message to man. That's what we believe. Do you believe that? Do you believe these 66 books are God's message to you? How many people today walk, walk around the world saying, I just want to hear from God. And God says, I've, I've already communicated to you. I've already given you the message. If only we could hear what God wants us to do. And God says, I've given it to you. I've given you my message. 
You see, just like those Thessalonians in Paul's day had a message from God that they needed, so you and I have a message from God, a letter from God to us, revealing what he expects from us, revealing how he created us to live, revealing what will come after, revealing the greatest truths about who he is and what he desires from you. We have no excuse to say, I don't know what God wants. We have no excuse to say, I don't hear from God. Because God has given us his message, the word of God. And that means, secondly, if you'll notice here about the Thessalonians, not only the word that was proclaimed to them, but the word that was received by them. Notice here again in verse 13. Paul is thanking God because they received the word of God, which he heard of us. And they received it not as the word of men, but as the word of God. Now, let's just think about that for a moment. What would it mean to receive something not as the word of man, but the word of God? Here's what it means. It means receiving something as authoritative. So what is something that is authoritative? It is something that has authority. Now, I want you to imagine that if a human agency, maybe your government, maybe some other person, maybe your medical doctor, maybe some other person, gives you a piece of advice. You have received the word of a man, of a human being. And if you are wise, what you likely will do is you'll think about the advice you have received. You'll assess it. You'll chew on it. Maybe you'll get second opinions or third opinions. And you ultimately will chart a course of whether you are going to take the advice or whether you are not going to take it. You are receiving it not as authoritative, but as something to be investigated, as something to be analyzed, and ultimately something that you have a choice to receive or not. In other words, you are the judge of the words that you have just received. That is how we receive, generally speaking, the word of men. But what about the word of God? What about God's message to you? The one who is the judge of everything. The one who made you. The one whose breath he controls. The one who is holding together the entire universe by the word of his power. What, what authority does his word have? It was his word at the beginning that said, let there be light. And immediately there was light. It is at his word that everything is held together. It is at his word that everything will come to its final completion. What authority does his word have? When Paul says you received it as the word of God, he meant you received it as the final authority, period, end of story. That's what he means. Someone has said, God said it, and that settles it. Is that your approach to the word of God? If God said it, that settles it. It's the word of God. You see, friends, I would just suggest for you this morning that this is one of the fundamental divides in terms of the spiritual health of a Christian or a professing Christian. It is whether they receive the word of God as the word of men or as the word of God. You say, what does that mean? 
There are two different ways of approaching the Bible. One is that you are the judge of the Bible and you manipulate it to say what you want it to say. The second way of relating to the word of God is that the word of God judges you and you do not try to make it say what you want it to say. You simply allow it to say what it says and you conform your life to it. It shows whether you are atop the word of God, looking down on it, putting your judgment on it, or whether you are coming below it, underneath it, and allowing it to speak clearly and change you and affect the way that you live. And that will have all the difference in the way that you relate to God and the health of your spiritual life. Are you receiving it as the word of men or as the word of God? Think of an example like you are in a car and you know that there's a speed limit that's in place and you know that if you go too fast, if you go well over that posted speed limit and there's a police officer there, you may be pulled over and there may be consequences. Why is it for so many people that the moment they see a police officer on the side of the road, what do they do? What's their immediate first reaction? Jam the brakes. What does that tell you about the way that you relate to the speed limit? It tells you that you have not received it in this sense as authoritative because you don't think it is the speed that you should be going. What it tells you is that your relationship to the speed limit is only if you think it's going to get you caught, only if it's going to have consequences for you, and so you slam on the brakes whenever you see a police officer because you don't want to get caught. Friends, when we relate to the word of God like that, we're relating it to it like the word of men. God, I know what you say in this book. I know how you say I ought to uh, 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 live my life. I know this behavior is against what you say, but God, I'm going to do it as long as I don't think it's really going to have consequences. No, friends. The way that you and I are called to relate to the word of God is simply to say, if God settles it, said it, that settles it. That's it. The final authority is him and I will submit to what he said. Just picture these Thessalonians. These people who received this word that Paul had said. How many different religious philosophies had they heard? How many different religious theories that we heard? In fact, in chapter 1, we learned that these people were idol worshipers. Paul said, you turned from idols to serve the living God. They were pagans. But they heard Paul come in preaching and they said, this is from God. And that settles it. And friends, may we as Christians have the exact same approach to the word to simply embrace what it says, not try to manipulate it to say what we want it to say, but simply to receive it for our benefit. There's one other thing that I want us to see here about the way the Thessalonians embraced the word. Notice again in verse 13. He says, For this cause also thank we God, because when ye received the word of God, ye received it not as the word of man. Do you know... In the original Greek, Paul is using two different Greek words that are both translated received. You receive the word of God, that's one Greek word, and you received it, there's another Greek word, as the word of God. You say, well, what does that matter? 
Because when he says the first word, receive, that's a Greek word that just means to just basically hear it, to take it into our ears. The second Greek word that he uses is one that effectively means this. You take it into your heart. You embrace it. You welcome it. In fact, you could translate it. You accepted it. What's the difference? It's the difference if I meet you on the street and I give you a handshake, a formal greeting that says, nice to see you. That's friendly. Just like it's friendly for you to sit here and hear the word that I'm saying. It's another thing if I come to you on the street and I give you a hug. I embrace you. That's different than a handshake. It's the acceptance of your person. It is a welcoming to you that is a deeper connection than just a handshake. And some of us are used to hearing the word and receiving it like a handshake. Thank you for that piece of information to me, God. And God wants you to give it an embrace. He wants you to accept his word, as one commentator says, not just the hearing of the ear, but the hearing of your heart. You, Paul says, received the word. Now, do you know what this is? This ultimately is an action of faith. Did you notice what he says here at the end of verse 13? The word of God effectually works in you that believe it's because those who believe are the one who says, God, this is your word. God, I will receive it. I will embrace it. As James chapter 1 commands us to do, receive with meekness the engrafted word. Open your arms and say, God, I'm ready to embrace it with all my heart. I'm ready to accept it and do whatever it says. I'm ready to build my life around it. That's what the Thessalonians did. And that's what you and I are called to do with the word. The word proclaimed, the word, uh, uh, the word in action, the word received, and then finally, the word at work. The word at work. Notice what he says. This word of God effectually works in you that believe. Again, think about that Tide Pod. Think about that detergent going in the dishwasher, and suddenly while you don't even see it, it's working, it's doing stuff. What does the word of God do in you? Well, let's start with what the word of God did in the Thessalonians. Turn back to chapter one. Turn back to chapter one. I want you to see something that Paul is testifying about these people once the gospel came to them. Notice in verse five. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, it wasn't just the word of men, but in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received, there's that same word, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Those two things don't tend to go together. It doesn't tend to go together that people receive the word being persecuted, being challenged, being afflicted, being tormented, and with, receive it with joy. 
That's not normal. That's not natural. In fact, so much was their joy in this situation. Look with me at verse 7. So that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we not, need not to speak anything. What's he saying? He's saying the word of God so changed you that everyone took notice. You were an example to everyone around. It changed them. And now Paul is coming back in chapter 2 to say, this word within you that you received by faith and embraced and welcomed is the word that is continuing to change you from the inside out. Let's get really practical for just a minute. If you want your life to change... If you identified one or two or three areas that you say to God, God, you know I want this area of my life to change, it's going to come from this word entering in and being received by faith. It's as simple as that. What is going to change you in the areas that you need to be changed in? It's going to be when, like that dish detergent, the word of God enters in and mixes with your faith, like that hot water being sprayed across all those dishes, being mixed with your reception of faith. And it'll start working. It'll start working. It'll start changing the way you think about things. It'll start changing the way you perceive things. It'll start changing the way you act on things. How does the word of God do this? In, in Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible tells us that this word of God is living and it is powerful. You say, what does that mean? To be living means that it is relevant to you. To be living means that when you read the word of God in this book, it is God's message to you, not just to people thousands of years ago, not just to some other person sitting here today. It is relevant to you. It is still alive. And for it to be powerful means that everything that God commands you to do by his word in this book, that word gives you power to do. Do you remember Jesus when he was speaking to that man that had a paralyzed hand? That man couldn't move it. He couldn't use it. It was entirely worthless. It was shriveled up. And Jesus met him one day and looked at him and said, stretch forth your hand. That man had no power to stretch out his hand. His hand was paralyzed. It was useless. And the moment Jesus said, stretch out your hand, that man had power to stretch out his hand. And the moment that word of Jesus connected to that man's faith, and he said, okay, that man's hand was healed in an instant. No longer worthless. No longer without any function. What am I saying? I'm saying that the word of God brings the power of God to accomplish what God wants it to do in your life. What does that mean for you and I in the way you and I must approach the word of God? It means that we must receive it. 
It means that we must welcome it. It means that we must invest in it. You see, why don't our lives change more? Is it not being very practical? Because too often at 8 o'clock on a Thursday night, we sit down and flip on the television or log on to Facebook or give ourselves to our favorite hobby instead of saying, I'm going to see what God's message is to me tonight. Now, is it, is it always wrong to do any of those things that I mentioned? No. But the question is, where are we finding the value in what is going to change us? What are we placing our ultimate investment in? Are we placing it in God's message to us that if we embrace it and welcome it into our lives will change us from the inside out? Is it something that by faith we are seeking to make more and more a habit of our daily life? I talked to a brother, dear brother, who's been such an example to me in his own walk with the Lord. And he said to me recently, he said, you know, in my daily devotions, when I read, he said, I, I spend my time now just meditating on God's word. I read it, and what he was saying is just simply this, I read it and I think about it. And do you know, friends, I think if you had 15 minutes in your morning or 20 minutes or 30 minutes to read the Bible, you'd be much better served by reading one verse or five verses or 10 verses and thinking about them, meditating on them, than trying to read three or four chapters mindlessly without knowing really what you're getting? Are you meditating on the word? Are you thinking about it? Are you embracing it? Are you accepting it? Are you trying to bring as much of it into your life as you can throughout the week? When you do, it'll change you. You see, I'm not encouraging you to do this this morning uh, as a matter of duty. I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I'm not trying to say, you know what, you just need to put on the timer for 30 minutes every day. What I'm doing is I'm appealing to your faith this morning. I'm saying God wants to change you. God wants to change the areas of your life that you want to change. He wants you to make, make you more like Jesus. And he's given you the power to do that. He's given it to you in his word. Which means that if you've identified an area of life that needs to change... There's something in the Bible for that. Do you want to change your pride? Then bring in the word. Do you want to change your fear or your anxiety? There's word for that. Do you want to change your lust? Do you want to change your sexual practices? Do you want to change the way you relate to the world? Do you want to change the way you relate to your spouse? There's a word for that. It's God's message. And when we receive it as the word of God, by faith, when we bring it in to our lives, it'll change us because that word is at work in the lives of those who believe. Friends, what's your relationship like to God's message to you? How are you treating this book, this Bible, this message of God this week, if you want to start that process of change, it's going to come by taking this word, this message of God, and bringing it into your life, receiving it, accepting it, embracing it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And your word is truth. 
Your word is living. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Jesus told us that the words that he speaks to us are spirit and they are life. They are life. And when we bring these life-giving words into our heart, when we embrace them by faith, they begin to change us. Father, I pray, would you help us to be honest with you this morning about what needs to change? Would we humble ourselves before you and receive with meekness that engrafted word which is able to save our souls? Let's pause for a moment. What's your relationship like to the word? Are you embracing it? Are you investing in it? Are you receiving it? Wouldn't you commit in a new way this week by faith to bring the word of God into your life more than it has been?